Welcome to Simple Truth, the teaching ministry of Pastor Eddie Turner and Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Through the practical and simple explanation of God's Word, Pastor Eddie has taught the Word of God to thousands of people around the world. The following message is from a recent service at Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Let's join Pastor Eddie as he shares simple truths from God's Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is vacation season. Summer is the time of vacation. And today, for the next few moments, if you'll bear with me, I want to talk to you about taking a vacation from intimidation. Taking a vacation from intimidation. All right. Summer's a vacation season. If you haven't already taken a vacation or two, you need to. Just tell your boss tomorrow you're going to be gone the rest of the week. I'm sure they won't mind at all. Tell them Pastor Eddie said it was okay. Tell them to give me a call. Wayne, what's your number? (laughs) 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. I love it as it reads in the New King James Version. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 in the New King James says this, Therefore I remind you... Now Paul is talking to young Timothy. Timothy was Paul's protege, and Timothy was learning the ministry, and Paul was training him. And he, he writes him two letters that we know about, and he talks to him about ministry and about his personal life. And this is one thing he says. He says, I remind you you, Timothy, to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Verse number 7. For God has not given us, me or you, Timothy, a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I like that last part. I confess it daily. I have a sound mind. Sometimes thoughts will run through my mind. I don't know about you. Are you losing your mind? Anybody ever had that thought beside me? And I always come back. I have a sound mind. All right. You know, uh, psychological professionals, Dr. Courtney, tells us now that there are now well over 500 fears or phobias that are documented. Well over 500 fears or phobias that are documented by professionals of the human race. Some of those are these. There's um, acrophobia, acrophobia, the fear of heights. Uh, Mesophobia, the fear of germs. Uh, Monophobia, the fear of being alone. And then here's one, uh, aquaphobia, the fear of water. Somniphobia, the fear of sleep. Pogonophobia, the fear of beards. Documented fears, the fear of beards. Here's another one. Technophobia, the fear of technology. A lot of, a lot of us older folks have that, don't we? And then, sebophobia. Many of us do not have that, the fear of food. I got delivered from that years ago. <laughs> but then a lot of us have this. Ergophobia, the fear of work. The fear of work. 
And there's a hardly a day that goes by in which I do not encounter a conversation with people, and you do too, that are discussing the violence in our land and the accompanying fear that's happening all over the United States now. And in cities that one day used to think, I wanted to live there, it's the safest place in the world to live, and now they catch two fugitives who had killed two correctional officers. Fear. I've noticed in our city that when the threat of severe weather exists, many people here in this area become very fearful. Due to the memories of a destructive tornado several years ago, many in this area get real fearful to the point of panic at any sign of severe weather. Listen, unhealthy fear is a terrible master. Unhealthy fear either compels us to what is irresponsible, to do what is irresponsible, or it impedes us from living responsibly. It either compels us to do things that we normally wouldn't do, or it impedes us or prohibits us from living the way we normally would live. Fear and timidity is a spirit, and it's not from God. Let me repeat that. Fear and timidity is a spirit, and it's not from God. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7. Notice what it says. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us a what? Spirit of fear. Notice the Holy Spirit here uh, calls fear a spirit. Notice he said God has not given us a spirit of fear. The Holy Spirit calls fear a spirit. The word there in the Greek is the Greek word pneuma. Pneuma. And it is the same word used for Holy Spirit, the spirit of man, and also demon spirits. So it is a spirit. Fear is a spirit. Likewise, intimidation is not a disposition or an attitude. It's a spirit. Intimidation is a spirit. Since intimidation is a spirit, it cannot be fought on the level of intellect or will. You know, a lot of times people get bound by fear. They get in anxiety. And somebody, and I know when that spirit came on me back years ago, I know people just say to me, come on, just snap out of it. Just snap out of it. Just make up your mind. You're not going to... Listen, if it's a spirit, it cannot be fought on the level of intellect or will. In fact, having a positive mental attitude is great, but a positive mental attitude will not overcome intimidation. It won't do it. Listen. Spiritual resistance requires spiritual assistance. If you don't remember anything else I say, remember that spiritual resistance, and it's a spirit, requires spiritual assistance. Fear must be addressed in the realm of the spirit. You have to deal with it that way. We've all seen the spirit of fear and intimidation at work in people. People who are intellectually smart and physically strong being intimidated by people who are much weaker and less intellectual. One of the great illustrations of this spirit of fear at work is found in the Old Testament. And if you've been around church very long, you know this story. It's pretty simple. It's found in 1 Kings, the prophet 
Elijah is sent by God to confront King Ahab about the sin of the nation of Israel. Let's pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, go to the Old Testament. It's 1 Kings. In your phones, go to 1 Kings chapter 18. On your iPads, your tablets, go to 1 Kings 18. And let's go to verse, let's start with verse number 17. All right? I'm reading from the New Living Translation, this passage. And let's read it. 1 Kings 18, verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, saw him, he explained, So is it really you talking? The king is talking to the prophet. The king, Ahab, says to Elijah, So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Now listen, if most people, if the president calls us a troublemaker... Well, that, our president now, he calls everybody a troublemaker. But, but normally, if a normal president calls you a troublemaker, you, you would be intimidated by that. I would be intimidated by it. But look what Elijah, he's not intimidated. Notice what he says, I have made no trouble for Israel. He stands right up to him. You and your family are the troublemakers. Now, now, that's pretty bold, isn't it? For you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and worship the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. Jezebel was Ahab's wife. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, then follow Him. But the people were completely silent. Notice the king of Israel calls Elijah a troublemaker. But Elijah doesn't back down. He's not intimidated by the king. He, in turn, calls the king a troublemaker. You a troublemaker. No, you a troublemaker. You're a troublemaker. No, you're a troublemaker. You're a troublemaker but worse than me. No, you're double t- worse than me. I double dog dare you, dare you to be a troublemaker. You hear, you hear them fussing back and forth? Look at, turn over to 1 Kings 18, verse 25. Turn over to the next chapter. I love this story. Then Elijah, 1 Kings 18, verse 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first. He called them all together and said, we're going to have a showdown here. We're going to see which one's God's, whose God's really God. You go first, for there are many of you, 850 against one. Choose you one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls, verse 26, and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us! But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the the altar they had made. Verse 27. I like this. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. See, 850 against one. 800, and he's mouthing off to them. Talking bad now. Listen to what he says. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely he is God. Perhaps he is daydreaming like this, or relieving himself. Or maybe he's away on a trip, or is asleep and needs to be awakened. Now, this is a man that's bold. So they shouted louder, 
And following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until all the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. 850 against one. If a man had given to intimidation, that's the time. They could have ganged up on Elijah and just killed him. Pick it up in verse 30 of 1 Kings 18. Then Elijah called the people, come on over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took twelve stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he had said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time for offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you brought them back to yourself. 38. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and all the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell down on their ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. 450 of them killed him. Didn't intimidate him. But then notice what happens. Chapter 19, verse 1. When Ahab got home, he had to go home after the slaughter. He told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and left his servant there. Now think about it. The king and all the king's army did not intimidate Elijah. 850 false prophets against one did not intimidate Elijah. And one woman has a spirit of intimidation on her. She has a spirit of intimidation on her and she backs down the prophet of God. Not because she was stronger. Not because she was more intellectual. Not because she had more power. But because she had a spirit and Elijah didn't deal with it in the spirit as he did with these others. Um, I remember back several years ago now, I had been called to testify for a divorce hearing, unfortunately. And they were th- the couple were fighting over the assets, and uh, and it had gotten dirty, it got ugly, and you know Christians can get ugly. 
I mean, if there's, if there's a coffee table involved, Christians can get ugly. All right? And we go to court. And I'm sitting there in court, and I've been called to, to testify for one of the, the spouses as character witnesses. And uh, it just so happened, I was, I was testifying for the woman, the wife, and the husband's attorney was uh, interrogating on the stand a witness in front of me. And this, this attorney was known to be a bulldog. And I knew that before I went up there. And I mean, he grilled this friend of this woman. I mean, he made that guy look like a criminal. And I'm sitting there thinking, I can't believe he's doing this to this guy. That guy's not like that. That woman didn't do that. I mean, he was just, it was just like a machine gun. Accusation, accusation, accusation. And I'm thinking, shoo, man, I'm glad I'm not up there. And then it dawned on me, I'm next. And this is the first time it ever happened in my life. That as I sat there in that courtroom, before I ever got on the witness stand, my hands began to shake. And my knees started shaking. Literally, I'm not kidding you, I started to shake. A spirit of fear came on me, thinking, I'm next. And I never will forget when I went up to the, and I knew the judge, the judge came to my church. Hey, pastor, have a seat. All right. you, you, you swear to tell the truth, whole truth, nothing but truth? Yeah, 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 yeah. And here he starts in on me. But I notice he only went about three to four minutes. See, this other guy, he went ten minutes. I didn't know that. I knew of him, but I didn't know the attorney. He starts in on me, and he went about three or four minutes, and then he just stopped. He said, that's all I've got. So I walked off, and they dismissed for lunch. And then as we was walking out of the courthouse, the attorney, I'm walking out, and the attorney must have been behind me because he comes out the door of the courthouse, Pastor, Pastor. And I looked around, and it's him. And I'm saying, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. I'm still kind of shook up. And he said, can I speak to you a second? I said, sure. He said, I want to tell you I'm sorry. This is just this is this is just business. And I said, okay. Uh, he said, this is what he said. He said, you had me scared to death. And then I put my shoulders back. He doesn't know this day that I was shaking. My knees were doing this number. It was a spirit of fear. It's real. And here's a perfect example in the Bible of Elijah who backs down, who stands up to a wicked king and wicked prophets and even to the point that he orders their execution and then one person who has a spirit on her because he doesn't resist it in the spiritual realm. He doesn't seek spiritual assistance all of a sudden, he's back down and gives in to intimidation. During this summer of 2017, 
I would like to encourage you to take a vacation from fear. Especially the fear and intimidation of man. Some of you live in intimidation of man. Why is it so important to recognize and overcome the spirit of fear and intimidation? Because the purpose of fear and intimidation is to control you and force you into submission. Intimidation desires to prohibit us from accomplishing and being all God wants us to accomplish and be. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7 in the NIV. Listen to what the NIV says. It says this, For this reason I remind you to fan into a flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For the, Spirit of God, uh, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. In this letter to young Timothy, Paul is reminding him, and listen to what he says, fan the gift of God up. Fan it into a flame. Here's something you and I must never forget. Don't ever forget this, dear friend. God's gift and God's dream that He has emplaced inside of every one of us doesn't work automatically. We must keep it stirred up. You've got to keep it stirred up. Those things that God put in you years ago, those dreams, those desires, you have to keep it stirred up. It just won't come to the top by itself. If we don't keep it stirred up, the gift of God will go dormant in us. It will go dormant. You've got to keep it stirred up. Paul is literally, literally reminding Timothy to stir up his gift again because intimidation may back him down. Intimidation will back you down. Intimidated Christians, intimidated Christians lose their authority in the Spirit by default. Their gift, God's ability in them, lies dormant, asleep, inactive. Some of us have gone through some very difficult moments in our life. We've gone through heartbreak. We've gone through rejection or betrayal. We've gone through abuse. We've gone through things that have caused us to lose or to to be victims. And what happens is that spirit from then on intimidates us. And we're not going to put ourselves back out there again. And we're not going to try that anymore. And we're not going to give that a go anymore. Why? Because we have been intimidated by the spirit of fear. Today you may be sitting here and suddenly realize the dream that you had, the gift you know God has placed in you, it's gone dormant. And it's because of intimidation of fear. Maybe you were out there one time, you out there, man, we're going to get this done. And it fell to pieces. It broke up. It didn't work. People didn't come through. The money didn't show up. It didn't work out the way you thought it And it's now, it's backed you down. You're intimidated by it again. Something happened on your journey that backed you down. A failure, a disappointment, maybe an abusive situation that you're fearful of trusting again. You're fearful of trusting again. Remember, listen to this. Remember the same day Elijah won a great battle was also the same day he ran out of intimidation. The purpose of that intimidation was to prevent Elijah from completing God's purpose for his life. 
Jezebel wanted to stop God's influence over the nation, so she intimidated God's man. Likewise, the fear and intimidation which tries to invade our life seeks to prevent God's purposes from coming to pass for us and through us. If you and I back down because of intimidation, our children will not see God's purposes filled to completion in their life. The work Elijah had begun was put on hold while he ran from Jezebel's intimidation. In the meantime, in the meantime, while he was back down, Ahab continues to oppress the people with wickedness. Jezebel's influence over the kingdom grew. Baal worship was destroyed even though Elijah had killed 450 prophets of Baal. Because he was back down and didn't fulfill God's purpose, Baal worship was restored. King Ahab eventually died, but his two sons reigned after him who led the nation into deeper idolatry. Finally, God said to Elijah, here's what I want you to do. You go anoint two people, Elisha to be prophet in your place and Jehu who will be king. Jehu came along, and he refused to be backed down by intimidation. We pick it up. Turn over to 2 Kings. Turn over to 2 Kings chapter 9. 2 Kings chapter 9, verse number 30. 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 30. When Jezebel, the queen mother, heard that Jehu had come to Jezreel, she painted her eyelids. Is that called mascara? You wouldn't know, would you, man? (laughs) No. She painted her eyelids, fixed her hair, and sat at the window. When Jehu entered the gate of the palace, she shouted at him, Have you come in peace, you murderer? Notice she's trying to back him down. She's trying to intimidate him. You're just like Zimri, who murdered his master. She's accusing him of things that are not true. Intimidation, fear, the spirit of fear is still working in her. Jehu looked up and saw her at the window and shouted, Who is on my side? And two or three eunuchs looked out at him. Throw her down, Jehu yelled. So they threw her out the window and her blood spattered against the wall and on the horses. And Jehu trampled her body under his horse's hooves. From that moment on, Jehu and all his men began to destroy all the Baal worship and all the Baal idols. They literally eradicated the nation from the worship of Baal. Look at 2 Kings chapter 10 verse 26. 2 Kings chapter 10 verse 26. They dragged out the sacred pillar used in worship Baal and burned it. They smashed the sacred pillar and wrecked the temple of Baal, converting it into a public toilet as it remains to this day. In this way, Jehu destroyed every trace of Baal worship from Israel. That's what God told Elijah to do, but Elijah let the spirit of fear back him down. And God had to send someone else to get the job done. When we are intimidated, when we are intimidated, we give up our position of authority. When we're intimidated, we give up our position of authority. And finally, let me close with this. Don't forget this. An intimidated person 
honors what he fears more than he honors God. An intimidated person honors what he fears more than he honors God. If you're here in this room today and you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know, I was going to do that, but that went wrong, and I was going to do that, and they said this, and I was going to live this way, and they were unfaithful, or they abused me. And now you know you live scared of that happening again. You're fearful of another instant. And you have decided you're just going to live and get by. I want you to know there's more at stake than what you think. Can I encourage you today to stand up to the spirit of fear? You say, Pastor, how do you overcome the spirit of fear? Well, first of all, the first thing you do is you repent for giving in to it. I'm sorry, Father. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I didn't realize what was happening. I didn't realize what was happening. It overcame me. It just consumed me. The pain of it, the heartbreak of it was more, and, and, and I just don't want to go through that. So I'm, I'm sorry for that. So the first thing you do is you repent for giving in to the spirit of fear. Some of you are scared to, you have a dream to go do something, to go somewhere, to, to, to visit a place, to travel. And you're scared to leave the house or your city because you're sick. And the spirit of fear, it's not the sickness that's keeping you. It's fear that's keeping you from moving forward. Some of you refuse to go see your children and go see your grandchildren because of fear. Some of you, your children or grandchildren live other places and you might have to get on a plane and fly. I ain't fly. I'm scared to death of planes. Don't you see? It's an evil spirit trying to keep you from seeing your family. Seeing your family. So first of all, repent. Repent. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for giving in. He, he forgives you. He's not mad at you. He understands. He was tempted with fear just like we're tempted with fear. And then the second thing to do is ask the Holy Spirit to give you courage and to give you boldness. And He will. Do you know the Bible in the New Testament, in the whole New Testament, I challenge you, read it. It doesn't ask, it never asks for divine opportunity. It's, you hear people say, pray all the time. Pray God to give you an opportunity. Pray God to give It doesn't ask for opportunities. It never says that. It says the people ask for boldness when the opportunity came. There's opportunities every day, but we're just scared. Whether we're going to offend them, we don't want to offend them. That's the spirit of intimidation. It's the spirit of intimidation. So ask the Lord to give you courage. Ask the Lord to give you boldness. Stand with me, would you? He'll do it. He'll help you. I lived with fear. It was, it was the motivation in our home. Fear is the motivation in our home. That's what I was raised with. It was the motivation in my home. You better not do that. You might do this. You better not do this. This might happen. You better not do this. Fear was the motivation. It's a bad motivation. It's not a God motivation. <laughs> Our little boy used to... He was two years old. When he was two years old, he'd, he'd go, he never knew to be scared of the dark. Fear is a learned response. You have to learn fear. You don't, you don't get it automatically. You learn it. And he would, 
He would take off outside everything. Never think nothing about the dark. Up to two and a half years old. We were gone for a few days and left him with a, a sitter. And we came back and we were sitting in our den. He said, go help me, Dad, go get my, go get my car in my bedroom. I said, you, you go back there. Go get it. I said, you go get it. He'd always, he said, I'm not going. I said, what do you mean you're not going? Go back there. He said, go turn on the light. I said, what do you mean turn on the He'd always just run back there before. I said, why? He said, boogeyman back there. I said, there ain't no such thing as no boogeyman. Who told you the boogeyman? He told us. The sitter had told him he was introduced from fear from another adult. See? And we had to teach him. And then he'd say, go back there. And I'd say, Amanda, go back there. <laughs> you get up and go back there. I said, boogeyman. He said, boogeyman was back there. <laughs> if you'd like to have prayer. Fear has captivated you and intimidated you and consumed you. We know what it's like. We'd love to pray with you. Thank you for listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Eddie Turner. Please join us at Family Worship Center, 3045 Memorial Boulevard, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, when you are in the Middle Tennessee area. You can also learn more about FWC at our website, www.familywc.com. Thank you again for listening to The Simple Truth.